Well, hello Church Central North, Church Central West and Church Central South and a big hello to anyone who's watching this from slightly further afield. It is so incredibly good to be with you. I don't know where you're watching this right now but I just want to say personally I miss you hugely and it is an absolute joy to be able to spend this time with you. It means so much to me that even at a time like this, we're still able to gather our three churches together in this way and stay connected right across our city. And although I know this isn't ideal, I am reassured that this certainly isn't the first time the church is united together despite geographical challenge and distance, way before the internet and Zoom ever existed. Just have a listen to these words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And Paul's words are very much mine as I think of all of you peering at your screens watching this message right now. So that being said, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5 today. Uh, if you remember last time, we, we looked at a bit of an overview uh, of the kingdom of God, which, if you recall, is one of the central themes, not just of Matthew or even the four Gospels, but actually of the whole Bible. And really, all we saw last time round was pretty much the setup or the prelude for this section in Matthew's Gospel that goes by the name of the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically Jesus' whole manifesto for what it looks like in practice to live under his rule and reign in the kingdom of God. So without any further ado, let's dive in and see what Jesus has to say. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are some of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. And I think because a lot of us are so familiar with them, we perhaps miss how weird all of this actually is. For starters, who on earth begins a public address with a bunch of blessings? Nowadays, this isn't really a thing. But back in Jesus' day, actually, it was incredibly common. So they would have had a whole framework for understanding what was going on here that we just don't have available to us in the here and now, which probably explains why the word translated blessed in our Bibles doesn't actually fully capture the true, full, wide meaning of what Jesus was communicated. I mean, I think we tend to read this and assume that God is the one doing the blessing here, but actually that's not how it would have been understood at the time. The original word was makarios. I want you to say that word with me back in your own homes, makarios. 
can't quite hear you, but I trust you just said it. Uh, Makaros, it, 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 it was a word that was more of a salutation, a bit like we'd say congratulations today. So, for example, when something really great happened, like the birth of a child or you landed your dream job, people would come up to you and say, Makarios, congratulations, blessed are you, fortunate are you, God's favour is on you. And so Jesus kicks off this sermon with this word, Makarios, over and over and over again. And then what follows is this list of eight types of people who are fortunate or to be congratulated. But let's face it, it's a pretty bizarre list, isn't it? It's not at all what you would have expected. It's the poor in spirit, it's those who mourn, it's the meek, it's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now look, if you are new to Jesus, or perhaps this is your first time reading through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm guessing you're probably thinking, Jesus, are you out of your mind? I mean, in what universe is anything on that list a good thing? So what's going on here? Well, in my humble opinion, these teachings have got to be among the most important teachings of Jesus. But I also think they're among the most misread and the most misunderstood. And so before I try and explain what this list is, here's what it isn't. First of all, it is not a list of virtues. I think that's probably the main mistake people tend to make here. That They, they kind of twist these blessings into a list of virtues or good things. For example, the poor in spirit become those who are dependent on God and know how badly they need him. And those who mourn are those who mourn over their sin. And the meek aren't the weak so much as those with power under control. And I can understand people doing those kinds of textual gymnastics because we don't normally think of the people on the original list as being particularly fortunate or worthy of congratulations, do we? I mean, I think we can probably all agree poverty is a bad thing, isn't it? Uh, and I don't think any of us would want people to be in a constant state of mourning, would we? And so I get why people would want to spiritualise this list. And in all honesty, there could be a grain of truth in all of those things. But the problem is, Jesus doesn't actually say any of that. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. Of course, there are virtues on the list, particularly in the second half where Jesus talks about the merciful and those who are pure in heart. Those are virtues. But as a general rule, this isn't intended as a list of virtues. The second thing this isn't is a list of commands. I mean, if you read this uh, as a list of virtues, then actually it does kind of follow that you'll also view it as a list of things you should go away and do. But I just don't think Jesus is telling you to go and become poor or to go away and be sad or to go out and get yourself persecuted on purpose. And then thirdly, this isn't a list of timeless truths either. For example, if you think about the way the world works, do the meek always inherit the earth? No, sometimes they do. But rarely. I mean, if you look at the leaders of the major world nations right now, just 
picture one of them. Whoever comes to mind, I suggest meekness would not characterise the person you have in your mind. Or even if it does, meekness wouldn't be a character trait that you'd associate with many of the leaders on the world stage right now. And do the merciful always receive mercy? I can think of any number of places in the world today where that is certainly not the case. And so if this isn't a list of timeless truths, and it's not a list of virtues or commands, what precisely is this then? Well, for what it's worth, I think it's a continuation of what we began to see last week about the kingdom of God. And there are three points I want to quickly make in the time remains about all of this. First of all, Jesus is saying that the kingdom is coming on the least likely people. Not the rich, but who? The poor. Not the happy, but the sad, those who mourn. Not the power brokers of the day, but the meek, the powerless, those who have no voice. Not those who have it all together and are good and moral and religious, but the people who really don't have it all together. Those people, according to Jesus, are blessed. Those people are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Those people are wrapped up into the new reality that Jesus is bringing to bear on the world and they didn't do a single thing to deserve it. All they needed to do was accept the invitation. What happens when you try and turn this list into a list of virtues or commands is it becomes a pretty twisted way of earning blessing that is completely and utterly at odds with the gospel of grace. The gospel is, hey, your life is a mess right now. Come on into the kingdom. Blessed are you. Look, you're feeling really sad. Your life doesn't fit the narrative of success that our culture tends to celebrate. Congratulations! You are welcome here. Blessed are you. You're poor. You have nothing. You feel like you don't have anything to offer at all. There's a place here especially reserved for you. Blessed are you. And out of that blessing, out of that place of unconditional welcome, of gracious acceptance, then you move on to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which spells out how you're to live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. But it's in that order, first blessing, and then a whole brand new way to be human. So first of all then, Jesus is saying that the kingdom comes to the least likely of people. Secondly, he's saying that the kingdom is radically subversive. Let me try and give you a creative adaptation aimed at helping you see what Jesus is getting at here. Blessed are the homeless, the unemployed, those on zero hour contracts, those who never got to go to university, those who feel like they have very little to offer, for they are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Blessed are the sad, the depressed, 
those who struggle with their mental health, those grieving the death of a loved one, the failure of a marriage, another miscarriage, the racism of our nation. Because one day, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Blessed are the quiet, the shy, the timid, the socially awkward, the badly dressed, the people with only two followers on Instagram. Because one day they will be set free from the tyranny of what others think of them. Blessed are the messed up, those who can't break their addiction, those from an abusive home. For one day they will be so full of God's life that their past will be completely forgotten. Blessed are those who don't gossip or speak ill of others or fight back. Those who get overlooked, trampled on, poorly treated, but refuse to repay evil with evil. For one day, they will get all that mercy paid back with interest. Blessed are all the Christians in a post-Christian culture that is hostile to all they believe. For even though they're mocked and looked down on as stupid and bigoted and behind the times, they get to share in the life of Jesus and the kingdom of God. What do you reckon? It's pretty stunning, isn't it? Now, I should just clarify, that is not a direct translation from the original Greek. It's simply an attempt to, to bring these words that many of you have heard so many times that you've become numb to them. It's an attempt to wake you up to how incredibly subversive what Jesus is saying really is. He's radically redefining who the blessed ones are. And it's the exact opposite of what you would naturally expect. What Jesus is teaching here is every bit as counterintuitive in our day as it was 2,000 years ago. I mean, let's think about this. Our whole culture is built on the pursuit of happiness, isn't it? And increasingly, increasingly, happiness is defined as feeling good about myself and my situation, which I suggest is a bit of a problem to us on a number of levels. For starters, scientists tell us that at least 50% of our happiness actually comes from our genetics. So some of you were just born happy and unfortunately and rather annoyingly others of us weren't. That's a big problem. Secondly, our culture dictates that happiness is all about comparison. So if you have more than the people around you or more than you were expecting, then you're happy which incidentally is why human beings manage to live for millennia without running water or electricity or any kind of sewer system or social media and we're really incredibly happy. But nowadays, if we don't have the latest phone or trainers or high-speed broadband, we feel like my life is over. It's like happiness is this treadmill where we are always walking, but we never arrive. But really, all that being said, the biggest problem with happiness, as we have tended to define it in our culture, is it's based on good circumstances. 
And I think as we're acutely aware right now, often our circumstances are completely out of our control. So what happens is when everything is going well, we're happy. But what about when everything doesn't go well? When we hit 40 and our dreams haven't come true and we're still trying to figure out what on earth to do with our life. When we finally get a ring on our finger and boy are they let down. When we're in lockdown and our job is on the line or when we're concerned for the health of loved ones and we're struggling to make ends meet. I tell you, I am incredibly fearful for those of us right now whose circumstances determine our happiness levels. This is not going to end well for us. But what Jesus teaches us here could, maybe, perhaps, possibly, just be the lifeline that you desperately need. Because Jesus seems to be saying to those who are poor and sad and don't have it all together, congratulations, you are blessed, you are favoured by God, you are the happy ones. Now look, I suggest the only way to make any sense of that is to view it through the lens of the kingdom of God. You see, thirdly and finally, Jesus teaches that the kingdom is this mixture of present reality and future hope. I don't know if you spotted this, but there's this tension running all the way through this list of blessings between the now and the not yet. If you notice that the first and the last one, they're in the present tense. Verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then the middle six well, they're all in the future tense. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Next line, they will inherit the earth. Next line, they will be filled. Next line, they will be shown mercy. Next line, they will see God. Next line, they will be called children of God. So there's this tension between the present and the future. It's like we, we live in the time between the times. Uh, between the world as it was before the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the world as it will be when Jesus returns to make all things new. We live in this whole transition point in human history where in the world as it is today, this list isn't always true. Now, as we've seen, for example, that the meek do not always inherit the earth. But this list is starting to come true, even in the present, where we're starting to see little glimpses, small previews, if you like, of what's to come when the rule and reign of God is seen over the whole earth. But in the meantime, we live with this tension, with blessing for today and hope for tomorrow. Now, just to make this really practical, I guess the million dollar question is, how do we view the current coronavirus situation through this lens of the kingdom and successfully embrace it as blessing? I think that's where the rubber hits the road right now, isn't it? Because over the weeks and months to come, many of us will become a whole lot poorer. Most of us 
We'll know what it is to mourn the suffering or loss of a loved one. We're, we're all going to feel pretty meek, pretty powerless. And we live in a culture that will turn around and say, when that time hits, you are certainly not blessed. But I think what Jesus is saying here is that we're not blessed in spite of our pain. But that there's a blessing for us even in the midst of our pain and perhaps even because of our pain. Now don't hear me wrong. He, he's not saying that pain and poverty is good, but that somewhere under the rubble of all of that, there is a blessing for us if we'll receive it. I mean, if you think about it, people came to Jesus poor and they didn't tend to go away rich. They still went away poor, but they experienced blessing. But they came to him sad. And I'm guessing if they were grieving the loss of a family member, they probably went away sad about that. But they also knew that they were blessed. They came to him under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And they went away still under the tyranny of the Roman Empire. But now they were blessed. And they were blessed because Jesus welcomed them when their society looked down on them and mocked them and mistreated them and pushed them away. They were blessed because despite their circumstances, they had experienced the love and the grace of Jesus. This wasn't merely something they knew in their heads. No, this was a felt reality that transformed everything for them. I think the point is, when everything seems to be going well, there's a danger that we can be duped into believing that we have no need for Jesus and that we are fine by ourselves. When everything is crashing down around us, suddenly it highlights our desperate need for him and our desperate need for help. And if this forces us to turn to Jesus and run into his arms then we end up being the most favoured, the most blessed, the most fortunate people alive on the planet. So I think what Jesus is calling us to embrace during this whole season is the blessing that God has for us in our pain that we could very easily miss. I want you to know that today there is blessing for you in whatever you're facing, if you're willing to come to Jesus and experience his love, his grace and his acceptance. And for tomorrow, for those who know Jesus, there's hope. One day, in the language of the Jesus Storybook Bible, all the sad things will come untrue. One day, I won't live any longer in the shadow of sickness and death. One day all the sad things will come untrue. One day Jesus will rule and reign over every square inch and everything in all creation will be as God intended in the beginning. There'll be no gap between rich and poor. There'll be no mourning, no sadness, no sickness, no suffering, no pain. For in the language of the New Testament, the old order of things has passed away. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is your destiny. That is your future. 
that is the end of your story. I tell you, that is the hope that is uniquely found in Jesus. There's complete healing, restoration and renewal coming, not just for your life, but for the whole world. Now, just to say, in a couple of weeks time, we're going to return to this passage we're going to look a little more closely at each of these blessings. And what we're going to see is that Jesus uniquely and perfectly embodies every single one of them. If you think about it, Jesus was poor. He was meek. He knew what it was to mourn. He passionately pursued righteousness and justice. He was full of mercy. He created peace wherever he went. He was pure in heart. And yet he was persecuted to the point of death, even death on a cross. And really, all I want to do as I draw this to a close is appeal to you today to look to Jesus. As we try to navigate these turbulent times that we find ourselves in right now, he uniquely shows us how to live in the present, in the blessing and in the future in hope. Because the good news of the kingdom is that we are all invited. We're all welcome. We're all accepted. Whatever your background, whatever your history, whatever you're going through right now, you today can be counted among the blessed, among the favoured, among the fortunate ones, amongst those who are to be congratulated. But only if you wake up, come to your senses, Stop going it alone and respond to this wonderful invitation by running headlong into the arms of Jesus and submitting to him as king over your whole life.